Section ten of the day of Sir Wilfrid Laurier. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bruce Peary. The day of Sir Wilfrid Laurier, a chronicle of our own time by Oscar D. Skelton. Looking to Washington, part two the jesuits or members of the society of jesus do not now for the first time appear in the history of canada in the days of new france they had been its most intrepid explorers its most undaunted missionaries not a cape was turned not a river was entered declares bancroft but a jesuit led the way with splendid heroism they suffered for the greater glory of god the unspeakable horrors of indian torture and martyrdom but in the old world their abounding zeal often led them into conflict with the civil authorities and they became unpopular alike in catholic and in protestant countries so it happened that for the peace of the church the pope suppressed the society in seventeen seventy three and it remained dormant for forty years after the conquest of canada it was decreed that the jesuits then in the country should be permitted to remain and die there but that they must not add to their numbers and that their estates should be confiscated to the crown lord amherst the british commander-in-chief made an unsuccessful attempt to have these estates granted to himself but in the crown's possession they remained and fell to the province of quebec at confederation this settlement had never been accepted the bishops contended that the jesuits estates should have been returned to the church and the jesuits who had come back to canada in eighteen forty two asserted their own rights to their ancient lands thus the thorny question as to what disposition should be made of these lands baffled the provincial authorities until eighteen eighty eight when honore mercier himself a pupil of the jesuits and now a most aggressively faithful son of the church grappled with the problem and passed an act embodying a compromise which had been found acceptable by all parties concerned the sum of four hundred thousand dollars was to be paid in satisfaction of all claims to be divided among the jesuits the church authorities and laval university in proportions to be determined by the pope at the same time sixty thousand dollars was voted to protestant schools to satisfy their demands in quebec the measure was accepted with little discussion all the protestant members in the legislature voted for it but in ontario the heather was soon on fire it was not merely that the dispossessed jesuits whom some protestants regarded as the very symbol and quintessence of clerical intrigue were thus compensated by the state but that the sanction of the pope had been invoked to give effect to an act of a british legislature the protestant war chiefs dalton mccarthy colonel o'brien and john charlton took up the tomahawk and called on the dominion government to disallow the act but sir john macdonald declined to intervene a resolution in the house of commons calling for disallowance was defeated by a hundred and eighty eight to thirteen the minority being chiefly conservatives from ontario in opposing the resolution mr laurier congratulated the government on its tardy conversion from the vicious doctrine of centralization 
the revolt of its followers from ontario was the inevitable retribution due to a party which had pandered to religious prejudices in both provinces due to that party with a rigid protestant face turning towards the west and a devout catholic face turning towards the east and which at the same time had proclaimed the right to disallow any provincial act he did not however base his position solely on the plea of provincial rights in itself the legislation was just and expedient a reasonable compromise between seriously conflicting claims nor would he listen to those who called upon the liberals to emulate the liberals of continental europe in their anti-clerical campaigns he preferred to take tolerant britain as his model rather than intolerant france or germany once more he declared as he had declared in quebec twelve years before that he was a liberal of the english school not of the french outvoted in parliament the champions of militant protestantism found strong support in the country an equal rights association was formed to resist the danger of catholic domination which many believed imminent it had less influence in the politics of the dominion than in the politics of ontario where oliver mowat was solemnly accused of having conspired with honore mercier to raise the jesuits to power it contained many able and sincere men yet its influence soon ceased by eighteen ninety four its place was taken by the protestant protective association or ppa a boycotting organization imported from the united states which had a deservedly short life but while the fires burned low in the east the torch had been passed on to the far west from dalton mccarthy to joseph martin of the conflagration which ensued we shall learn in a later chapter men will sometimes pray or may try to prevent others from praying as they list but they must always eat the pendulum of public interest swung back to trade relations with the united states depression still pervaded farming and manufacturing centers alike though the abandonment of the policy of federal coercion had lessened political discontent the return of the republicans to power in eighteen eighty eight it has been seen appeared to put freer trade relations out of the question the mckinley tariff of eighteen ninety slammed the door in canada's face for in order to delude the american farmer into believing that protection was in his interest this tariff imposed high and often prohibitive duties on farm products should canada retaliate or make still another effort at a reasonable arrangement with its unneighborly neighbor the possibility of adjustment was not as remote as might have seemed probable after all reciprocity is as much a protective as a free trade doctrine since as usually interpreted it implies that the reduction in duties is a detriment to the country making it only to be balanced by the greater privilege secured at the expense of the other's home market james g blaine secretary of state in president harrison's cabinet was strongly in favor of reciprocity particularly with latin american countries in the same session which saw the passing of the mckinley act the house of representatives agreed to the hit resolution 
providing that whenever it should be certified that canada was ready to negotiate for a complete or partial removal of all duties the president should appoint three commissioners to meet the canadian representatives and report their findings this was the position of affairs when early in eighteen ninety one sir john macdonald suddenly decided to dissolve parliament in spite of an explicit promise to the contrary made a short time before with the dissolution came an adroit attempt to cut the ground from under the feet of the liberal party it was asserted that on the initiative of the united states negotiations had been undertaken to settle all outstanding disputes and to renew the reciprocity treaty of eighteen fifty four with the modifications required by the altered circumstances of both countries and with the extensions deemed by the commission to be in the interests of canada and the united states this announcement greatly strengthened the government's position since the united states had taken the initiative there was likelihood of a successful outcome many who favored reciprocity but felt doubtful as to the political outcome of the more sweeping proposals of the opposition were thus led to favor the government the announcement proved too audacious secretary blaine indignantly denied that the united states had initiated the negotiations and sir charles tupper so admitted after the elections mr blaine further made it plain that no treaty confined to natural products would be entertained in the face of this statement the government executed another sharp turn and appealed to anti-american sentiment and protected interests denouncing vigorously the opposition's policy as sure to lead to ruin annexation and the climax direct taxation sir john macdonald issued a skilful address to the electors and the cry of the old flag the old man and the old policy appealed to noble feelings and to deplorable prejudice alike in his address to the canadian people mr laurier arraigned the national policy for its utter failure to bring the prosperity so lavishly promised reciprocal freedom of trade with the united states would give the larger market which had become indispensable the commercial advantages of such a plan were so clear that they were not disputed it was attacked entirely on other grounds the charge that it would involve discrimination against great britain could not have much weight in the mouths of men whose object was to prevent the importation of english manufactures if it did involve discrimination if the interests of canada and the motherland clashed he would stand by his native land but that discrimination was involved he did not admit it was not essential to assimilate the canadian to the american tariff should the concessions demanded from the people of canada involve consequences injurious to their sense of honor or duty either to themselves or to the motherland the people of canada would not have reciprocity at such a price direct taxation might be averted by retrenchment and revision of custom schedules the charge that unrestricted reciprocity would lead to annexation was an unworthy appeal to passion and prejudice and if it meant anything meant that it would make the people so prosperous that not satisfied with a commercial alliance they would forthwith vote for political absorption in the american republic 
the government's appeal to the flag was greatly aided by some letters and pamphlets of mr farrer and congressman hitt and other leaders in the commercial union movement which were made public and which gave color to the cry that unrestricted reciprocity was only a first step towards annexation it was in vain that oliver mowat and alexander mackenzie the latter now soon to pass from the scene voiced the deep-lying sentiments of the liberal party in favor of british connection and indignantly denied that it was at stake in the reciprocity issue sir john macdonald's last appeal rallied many a wandering follower on grounds of personal loyalty the campaign funds of the party were great beyond precedent and the railway and manufacturing and banking interests of the country outweighed and outmaneuvered the farmers the government was returned by a majority of thirty in ontario it had only four seats to the good and had a minority of the popular vote while in quebec the liberals at last secured a bare majority the other provinces however stood by the party in power and gave the government another lease of life for five years the smoke of battle had not cleared when a remarkable letter from edward blake the late leader of the liberal party was published it was a curiously inconclusive document it began with a scathing indictment of the conservative policy and its outcome its real tendency has been towards disintegration and annexation it has left us with a smaller population a scanty immigration and a northwest empty still with enormous additions to our public debt and yearly charge an extravagant system of expenditure and an unjust tariff with restricted markets whether to buy or to sell it has left us with lowered standards of public virtue and a death-like apathy in public opinion with racial religious and provincial animosities rather inflamed than soothed it has left us with our hands tied our future compromised a preference in the english market was out of the question unrestricted free trade with the united states would bring prosperity give men money and markets yet it would involve assimilation of tariffs and thus become identical with commercial union political union he added in a cryptic postscript though becoming our probable is by no means our ideal or as yet our inevitable future mr blake had persistently withheld his aid and advice from the leaders of the party since his resignation his action now was resented as a stab in the back and the implication that the liberal policy was identical with commercial union was stoutly denied if as mr laurier had made clear in his electoral address negotiations proved that reciprocal arrangements could not be made except on such terms they would not be made at all yet the letter had undoubted force and materially aided the government in the by-elections the government formally carried out its undertaking to open negotiations with the united states sir charles tupper sir john thompson and george e foster went to washington and conferred with secretary blaine but the negotiators were too far apart to come to terms and the proposals were not seriously pressed later when the tide of reaction brought the democrats back to power in eighteen ninety two the conservatives made no attempt to renew negotiations 
and later still when the liberals came to power in canada the republicans were back in office on a platform of sky-high protection meanwhile the increase of exports of farm products to great britain promised the larger markets sought and made admission to the united states of less pressing importance when in eighteen ninety three the liberal party met in national convention at ottawa limited reciprocity including a well-considered list of manufactured articles was endorsed but it was subordinated as part of a general demand for a lower tariff now again prominent in the party program end of section ten looking to washington part two